Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Stories and scandal water. It's where you need to be. Stories and scandal water. Let's pour you a cup of tea. Hi, Ashley. Hello, Candy. I'm very happy about what we're recording right now yes. because this has been um what's the word in the history of scandal water podcast this has been the longest gestational episode <laughs> yes it's been an interesting one yes it has and it's been very multifaceted multifaceted mm-hmm. um super exciting we full have full of a, surprises yes in fact some amazing surprises big surprises very a lot of excitement to it but also interesting because it encompasses some experimentation yeah it encompasses a little bit of a piecemeal nature as well yeah Yeah. it does it does so now that we've totally confused you (laughs) we're gonna stop and we're gonna explain yes okay here you go guys remember we had the idea going into season two that we would try this idea of field trips Mm -hmm. and so Ashley had the great idea of attending this exhibit that Mm -hmm. had come to Louisville Mm -hmm. all our friends were talking about it everybody was going and it was going everybody was going (laughs) it was called the Van Gogh exhibit the immersive experience yes and so we decided to make that our first field trip and because Ashley's mother Rebecca is an artist Mm -hmm. we actually were fortunate enough to have her attend with us so that we could get her perspective as well which was I think very valuable it was it enhanced my experience Mm -hmm. it did mine as well Mm -hmm. so we went ahead and we attended that experience and we recorded our impressions and our reactions real time Mm -hmm. which we are going to share with you in just a moment yes but then realized we needed to come back after the fact because we we left that experience saying oh my goodness now we need to know so much more about this artist and and his family members the people with whom he had relationships Mm -hmm. especially his brother Theo yes and so we knew we needed to come back and do more research yeah and then we also had something else that you want to share with them or do you want to save that for later let's save it for later so let's just start let's just go chronologically okay so what we did and what we're going to do and the way the episode will play out is like Candy said we're going to play for you in just a second what we recorded at our field trip and what you're going to hear is you're going to hear our impressions before we walk in you're going to hear our impressions after we are in the first room which was kind of the reading room and then because there was a lot of music in the actual immersive experience and we wanted Mm -hmm. to actually just be able to enjoy the immersive experience we did not record but we gave our impressions in the lobby outside of it and that's where we kind of had this conversation of how we felt and how did we feel about the commercialization of Van Gogh and what did we think he would think about it and we talked to my mom Rebecca about her impressions of as an artist right. and all of this kind of really interesting conversation so that's our first piece and you want to play it for them now yes I think we're ready okay here you go we'll talk to you after our field trip 
Here we are on a field trip to the Van Gogh exhibit. And what are your thoughts, Ashley? What are you expecting? Well, I've actually been to one of these at Biltmore. They had the Van Gogh exhibit there. And there it was beautiful. You walked into a room and it was music and they had his paintings mm-hmm. kind of circulating. But before you went through that, you went through an exhibit where they showed his placards where you read about his life. So they gave you some context and kind of set you up to understand more fully what you were about to see. Yes. And they also had a exhibit of the bedroom, the picture of his bedroom, and they had a, a, a real life replica of that bedroom. Oh, I'm interested to see if this is the exact same experience you had because I've heard it's a traveling exhibition. So will it be exactly the same or will there be variations? That's what I'm interested in too. Since I have been in and you have not, what are you expecting? I have so many friends who've posted about this, but honestly, I've not heard many details. So in my mind, I expect maybe holographic type things. You mentioned music. I feel like music might be part of the experience. The nice lady who greeted us as we came in mentioned something about some of the paintings winking at us. Mm -hmm. So this is so funny, but it makes me think a little bit of Harry Potter and how as you would, you know, in the movies, the way they portrayed it in the books as well, it felt like the paintings or the characters were almost coming to life. And in my mind, that's a little bit of what I visualize. Yeah, it it was an open room and it was kind of where you could just walk in at any time. So you could join it and it was on a complete loop. So it was a little interesting because at the end, at the Biltmore one, they actually ended the, they ended the slideshow or they ended the projection with a gunshot and then birds flying up in one of his paintings as because he commits suicide. So they actually include that. But the shot, the the gunshot comes out of nowhere. Oh my goodness. That sounds very powerful. It was. Um something that would be very affecting yes it was so our appointment is at 11 and we are about ready to walk in so we'll see we'll see what it's like let's go see some van gogh so we have walked through the first room and it is called the reading room and it is beautiful it's actually more in depth than the biltmore was because at the biltmore they had physical plaques that you could read and these are a large standing projections with English and Spanish on them so they are more in-depth about his life but Candy what is your impressions of this first room? First I think it's so smart to start by giving us some background and some context because now I feel like I have a much better understanding of where he's coming from who he was and you know his background one thing that has really struck me is the relationship between him and his brother and that's I haven't even gone into the actual immersive part but I'm already emotionally connected to the relationship between these two brothers and the way that Theo was a support and a friend to him and a sounding board and so that's one thing that strikes me and then I will add your mother Rebecca is with us and she's a painter and so her comments about the artistic techniques have caused me to notice a few of the things that I wouldn't have paid attention to otherwise so it's interesting that I'm also now thinking about it from a more artistic slant than I would have otherwise done. Yeah, it's a really good idea to go to a art exhibit with an artist because they can <laughs> see things and teach you things that you didn't even realize you were looking at. Yes. One of the things that she mentioned was the technique and using the, what is it, the knife? Palette knife. The palette knife versus the, the brush strokes. And once that was named, then I could clearly see it and I could tell the difference. And so it really did make me appreciate that technique more. And I'm also, of course, I had surface level knowledge about Vincent Van Gogh, but I have, 
I'm, I'm intrigued now by the man's life and the failures he struggled with, his uh, mental health issues that he struggled with, all those different things that I really knew very little about. It's interesting to see him talk about failure, knowing what a success he is and how he felt in his life, that he was a failure, but yet we know now how incredibly successful he was. Are you ready to go to the next room? Yes, let's do it. All right. So we have finished touring the Van Gogh exhibit, and we are now going to share just a few of our impressions. Impressions. (laughs) (laughs) We're here all day. Yeah. (laughs) I looked back at one of the slides that that I saw in the reading room where it talked about the purpose of the exhibit, and this struck me because I think that... This is, this is what it was about, and I think they achieved it very well. It said that they really wanted to, like the master did himself, to start with something we know and extend beyond what the eye can see. And to do that, they said, this is the quote, the unlikely pairing of the digital and the classical allows us to dive into this world of paint, to experience it from the inside, to vibrate to the rhythm of each of his works. And so I thought that was cool because not being someone who knew much about Vincent Van Gogh, I now do have a much better appreciation of him and his works. To actually be in that room where you had the music to complement it, you could see not just his works, but they, they interspersed quotes from him so that you could see his thinking. They showed some different pictures and things that that gave you a sense of his life. And you also even, it was cool the way that they would sometimes use the digital techniques. So it was almost as though you could see the painting as it was Mm -hmm. being created. Mm -hmm. It was almost like this accelerated version of how that, that sketch or that painting came to life. So all of that struck me. Those are things that I really liked. What were some of your thoughts, Ashley? Well, in comparing it to the Biltmore exhibit, this one was, I, we went last December. So my, my remembering is a little fuzzy, but I remember it being a much darker room. So there were projections on the floor. There were more of those middle pieces and they were all around you and they used way more quotes. Mm -hmm. So there was more quotes, but another thing that I noticed is in the reading room, there was more information in the reading room. So they could have, just use some of those quotes in the actual exhibit itself and one thing I noticed and I don't know if we're going to talk about it again in a second is that the color was not as vibrant Mm. because the room wasn't as dark so I'm wondering if later in the day it would be better but I don't think so because it's already closed off I think the the fact that it had no ceiling made the paintings look a little more faded than they did at the other exhibit but it is different it's different enough that if you went to the one in Biltmore and you came to this one you are seeing different things Well, let's ask your mom, Rebecca, to weigh in. She's an artist, and she had some thoughts as we were watching it about the color and the way it was a little muted in the room. So would you share with us your thinking about that, Rebecca? Van Gogh was known for his color, his bright color. He painted right from the tube. This was a disappointment to me because the colors were so dull. Mm -hmm. And also it was a bit of a disappointment that he was so commercialized because if you delve into his life at all, you know, he was a very sincere, loving, God-loving person who loved nature and just loved people. And that love was, through his life, not reciprocated. He... He was always treated poorly by most people except for his brother. There was a lot of things I liked about it, but I was disappointed too that they didn't give enough of a history of Theo and Vincent so you could really get the depth of their relationship and who he really was. I mean, there were quotes, but not somebody coming in here not knowing Van Gogh. There was a whole lot that was missing that 
I think should have been put in there. But it was a beautiful example of his work. It was a little weird having the floor move like that and swirl around and stuff, but I could see where kids could come in here not knowing anything about Van Gogh and just be fascinated. So you think it would be a very good introduction to him and his art and maybe make somebody more interested in him? Yes, but I think they could have gone further and I I think it was a little too commercialized because he wasn't that type person. I, I just, I kind of felt bad for him because making all this money off of his memory when he only sold one painting in his own life, and that wasn't brought out either. I mean, there's so many things that they didn't say. Let's go back and talk about Theo, because you had some real impressions of Theo, Candy. Tell me what you were thinking of him. Again, as, as Rebecca said, you, it was just kind of a teaser. You had all these different quotes, but I was struck by the connection between these two brothers because they communicated through the, the quotes that we were able to read on these kind of, I don't know what you'd call them, displays, I guess. You could see that this was a relationship where they were in person, but you, you could tell that they kept in such close contact through letters. It was as though Theo, and Rebecca shared this with us, that you know he financially supported Vincent. He was there to help him fulfill his dreams as an artist. He loved him enough that he gave him encouragement when he was struggling with his self-doubt. He named his son after him. You know, all of those things. I was just thinking that somebody who struggled so much with his own mental health issues and with his finances and feeling like he'd never succeeded, the one thing that just struck me was how positive to have a person that was behind you to that depth. Like that, because a lot, a lot of people who struggle with failure don't have that one person who's willing to put everything behind you, who believes in you so wholeheartedly, they will put their own needs aside to try to help you fulfill your dream. I thought that was very cool. That was really cool. One more question for you, Mom. Talk about Vincent's technique, because as we were walking through, you said there was one painting in particular that you were trying to imitate of his, and then once you figured out how to imitate it, and then what was that method? Oh, I I just thought that he painted with a brush. That's, you know, you always see him in pictures, and he has his brush and his easel and all that, and I was trying to paint one of copy, which not well, but okay. I was just just as an exercise trying to copy one of his paintings and I could not do it with a brush and I thought huh what is he using here this doesn't make sense and I finally got a palette knife out a certain kind of pointed palette knife and I could finally do the stroke but he used really really thick paint and that was kind of odd because paint was expensive then he didn't have any money it's kind of odd that he used paint that thickly to me as an artist you think of that kind of thing because I'm like oh gosh this is going to take a whole tube of paint for one painting I just thought that was interesting that you can't you can copy other artists but Van Gogh is almost impossible to copy because he's that thick quick brush strokes or or palette knife strokes it's just interesting to figure that out do you have a favorite painting of his Mm, probably still it's corny but starry starry nine you know the one with the big and and we were talking about how he may have had a stigmatism because yes. <laughs> that's, that's one thing that we kind of talked about going through here it's like wait a minute I think he sees things the way I see him you know the astigmatism <laughs> without my glasses on hey buddy <laughs> and how his style changed so much yeah and as, tell us what you said about that as maybe it didn't have so much to do with madness but what well, when you start out as an artist or a writer or 
any creative thing you want to do you learn the right way to do it you learn you know a story has a beginning middle end how you get to that point but and it's the same thing thing with a painting you learn how to do the angles and the landscape and the perspective and you learn how to do the colors and mix and all that and then once you've learned it you forget it Mm -hmm. and then you do what you want to do but that what you have originally learned stays with you enough that it's not chaos but still then it becomes yours and I think that's what he did in his original paintings he was just very precise and he you could tell he had tried to do like every other artist paint like every other artist and then as he got older and he became freer and it's like I don't care they're not selling anyway what difference does it make I'll just do my own thing Uh and so he did that and it's just legendary now his paintings and the color my goodness the color is that what you like the best about him is his use of color color mm-hmm. yeah he used the bright yellows and the royal blues and the fav- my favorite colors he just splat them on there and just like I don't care what y'all think and it had hadn't been very long before that that we were had you know renaissance and all that and da vinci and everything was very precise and the skin tones were translucent and you have all this beautiful paintings and they were all dark mm-hmm. there was no bright yellows that we see i mean the paintings probably have faded but but him he just like ah, i don't care i'm gonna splat it on there and mm-hmm. just Put on what I want and do what I feel and that's why he was so good. Ashley is someone who's now seen two different exhibits on Van Gogh. What, why do you think this is such a popular thing? What's something that you took away from it that you felt stood out as being beneficial or just something that was a positive? I think it's the novelty of the digital because you're not going into a room that's just the paintings. When we were in Charleston, there was a Renoir exhibit, and I was able to go in the rooms and, and see those, and it was amazing because you were looking at them, but they were so small. You know, they were the size that they were when, when he painted them. But going in this room, you're seeing these life-size. They're as big as, a, you know, a tall room, and the music and the movement of the pictures and the paintings I think it's that immersive experience that is so appealing. It just makes it come alive to you. And as, as she said, as for an artist, it might be a little bit disappointing because they're not delving into his full life. But I think it's a really great introduction and that overwhelm of, oh, the majesty. This is so beautiful. But you did have to stand further back. You know, we noticed walking out that if you were right up on the wall, it was very blurry. But the further back you are, the more you got the, the concept of what they were going for, I think. I agree with you. I think the uh, the immersive nature of it was very affecting. It appealed not just to your visual sense, but it started to make you feel a little emotional, like you connected to your emotions a little bit. Or, and it, it piqued my curiosity because, I mean, I've heard of Vincent Van Gogh my entire life. It, the losing his ear, you know, some of those things are kind of legendary or a a little salacious whatever it might be I want to go look the man up now and I really want to find out more about his relationship with Theo I think that's the piece that it really hit me you know I do want to know what happened to him how he ended up because there was the one fact about that he painted Starry Starry Night while he was in the the asylum looking out through the barred window that image absolutely just took me aback and so I want to know more about what happened to him definitely but 
but I'm drawn to the relationship pieces too. They got me. I think now they've made me think about a man that really has not been on my radar for a long time and I want to know more. I think that was probably the intention. We'll end it with you, Mom. What is it about Vincent that you specifically identify with as an artist? His heart. I can I can relate to the colors and what he was feeling when he painted these things. And I know a little bit about his story. And I feel like most artists feel like they're not a part of society, that their, their creativity puts them in a corner somewhere watching the world and not being a part of it and I could just kind of feel what he was feeling so I don't know if I should or not but I just I just feel like we'd get along just fine (laughs) kind of sounds like what you were just talking about that feeling apart where he's standing in the he's in the asylum looking out at the freedom and that's what's out there for him you know Ashley I really love that we are venturing out you know, with our podcast being centered on entertainment, so many times we're sitting in a room and we're talking about it as people who've enjoyed it and analyzed it and done all those things. But I think this is really cool to be able to experience it on the site and talk about it, our reflections like in that moment. And in this case, it was great that Rebecca, you know, came at it too with her perspective as an artist. It's, you know, wonderful just to have that opportunity to share our thinking right then and also in some cases hear from other people as well. We shared our impressions. (laughs) Nice. Nicely done, Ashley. (laughs) All right. Here we are, guys. Mm -hmm. We are now recording in our studio, Mm -hmm. and it's actually three months later. Yes. Yeah, we are in December now. I don't know if we said this, but the field trip was in September. It was. So what we realized was, first of all, we wanted to to explain to you that this was something we had planned way in advance. We knew we wanted to have a month dedicated to this idea of the bend in the road. Right. Because life has so many challenges, Mm -hmm. and we just absolutely loved the way Helen Keller phrased it. Remember, this was her quote, a bend in the road is not the end of the road unless you fail to make the turn. Yes. And so an episode focused on Vincent Van Gogh seemed to fit this perfectly because I went into that exhibit knowing very little about him, but what I did know was this was a man who struggled with some mental health challenges. I knew he was amazingly talented. I did not realize how supported he was especially by his brother but I knew that he was a man who struggled mm-hmm. and so this just seems like a perfect tie-in to and this it's, theme it's actually an amazing second episode to follow Helen Keller because right before we sat down to record we had just talked about Helen so I was looking up some things about mm-hmm. Starry Starry Night this particular painting that Vincent did and it dawned on me that he well I read Vincent painted Starry Starry Night in 1889 and I said Candy do you realize that Helen Keller was around when Vincent Van Gogh was doing this so I looked up what Helen was doing in 1889 and according to the internet when Vincent is painting this Annie Sullivan is teaching Helen at her home in Alabama until the autumn of 1889 when they return to Perkins for Helen to study as a regular student since Keller could not hear the lectures, as could most of the students, Annie Sullivan sat with Keller and translated every lecture into her hand using the manual alphabet. Mm-hmm. So just imagine our last subject, this is where they are in their right. life, and we're picking up with this subject where he is in 1889. That just, oh, it makes history just blossom in my mind. Me too, because too many times we see everything in isolation and we yes. don't understand. How they the, overlap. Right. Yes. I love that. Well, 
leaving our field trip, this yes. immersive experience focused on Vincent Mango, I remember one of my biggest takeaways was I need to go research. Yeah. I need to go research him. I, I don't know enough. Mm-hmm. And so I thought we would take this time, Ashley, just to kind of share some of the background about yes, Vincent Mango the way we normally do. Mm-hmm. Just kind of. This section is all for Vincent. Here, so here we go. You know what? I'm going to start first by giving a shout out okay. to the Vincent Van Gogh Museum website mm-hmm. because so much of this information came from them. And by the way, if you want to see his paintings, if you want to see letters or other artifacts mm-hmm. that were put in that collection, you can find so many fascinating things on this website. I highly recommend you check it out. I also pulled from other sources, including this biography site that had a nice little write-up about him, but definitely check out the Vincent Mango Museum website. Okay. Okay, that said, Vincent Mango was born on March 30th, 1853 in Groot Zundert, which according to a different site was called the Brabant Village of Zundert, and this is in the Netherlands. I should go ahead and say there are going to be a lot of locations in Europe that I'm probably not going to pronounce correctly. So we're just all going to forgive me, right? I do. I forgive you. (laughs) I speak for all of us. Good. (laughs) So Vincent was born exactly one year after his parents' first son, who was also named Vincent, was born stillborn. So it was kind of a sad start. There was already this headstone with his name, but of course it was his brother Mm -hmm. and this birth date already etched onto it mm. when, when he was born. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a little bit of a dark beginning in, in that way. Yeah. But this was a nice family. There were six living children. Vincent had two younger brothers, Theo, who he will come go on to play a very important part in Vincent's, Vincent's life. life. So we're going to talk a lot about him, but also another brother named Cor and three younger sisters, Anna, Elizabeth, and Williman. Now, Vincent's dad, Theodorus Van Gogh was this very serious country minister, and his mother, Anna Cornelia Carbentus Van Gogh, was described as being a moody artist Mm. whose love of nature drawing and watercolors transferred to her son. So he got it from his mom. Mm -hmm. But one thing I thought was nice was they also mentioned how the Van Gogh family would take frequent walks around the area, and that was something else that helped to instill a great love of nature in Vincent. I mm. like that image of I this family walking around together. Yeah. yeah. So at the age of 11, Vincent transferred from the village school to a boarding school in Zevenbergen. But they said he was deeply unhappy there. Mm. He did manage to complete his elementary schooling, but... It was not a happy experience for him. And they said there was little sign of any special artistic talent at at that point. I'm just making a wild speculation at this point. I wonder if he would have benefited from a Montessori style Mm -hmm. education instead of a very restricted. I don't know. I'm just like, just based on what you just said, if being out in nature, I just wonder. Just wonder. I think it sounds like a good inference. Mm -hmm. Well, when he was 13, he went to a secondary school in Tilburg, and he did well there. He earned good marks, especially for languages. But he did quit school halfway through his second academic year, 1867 to 1868, and ended up never going back. Mm -hmm. Now, it didn't really explain in that source why. In fact, it said unknown reasons. But the biography article speculated that it was because his family was struggling financially and that he was forced to leave school to go to work. Mm. So that happened a lot. Yeah. 
different sources, kind of different versions, but you know how that goes. He did get a job at his uncle Cornelius's art dealership, which was Goopel and C, if I say that correctly. And it was a, a firm of art dealers. Now, remember we said he was good with languages? Yes. By this time, now he's only around 15. He was fluent in French, German, and English, as well as his native Dutch. Wow. I would He's love, a smart guy. I would love to be fluent in languages. I have always struggled with that. I so admire people who can do that. Mm, me too. So a comment made on the website was that some of Vincent's earliest surviving letters date back to these first years where he was working at this place. They called it Goopal for short a okay. lot of times. Okay. And September of 1872 marks the beginning of a lifelong correspondence between Vincent and his younger brother, mm. Theo, who himself started working for Goopal in 1873, but he was in Brussels. And then Vincent was transferred in June of that same year to Goopal's London branch. So these fellas are moving, moving to different around. areas based on their work. Okay. Now, while Vincent was in London, it said he fell in love with the English culture. He visited famous art institutions. He went to the British Museum, the National Gallery, was inspired by the paintings and the work that he mm -hmm. saw there. Mm -hmm. He also read everything from the museum guides and magazines on literature and poetry. He just was a big reader. And supposedly, you want to talk about a connection? Yeah. He became a big fan of the writings of Charles Dickens <gasps> during this time. Wow. Yes. And also George Eliot. In 18. 1975, though, Vincent was transferred to Paris, and this was a period during which he became very religious. They said the letters that he wrote to Theo were full of Bible quotes and lots of accounts about church services and different sermons he heard. Now, the other article, the biography site, speculated this had something to do with his having been rejected by this love interest. Oh. Supposedly, there was a woman um, they called her a landlady's daughter named Eugenie Lawyer. And when she rejected his marriage proposal, it was said that Vincent suffered a bit of a breakdown. Mm. There was a quote that said, he threw away all his books except for the Bible and devoted his life to God. He became angry with people at work, telling customers not to buy the, quote, worthless art. And he was eventually fired. Well, that'll, unfortunately, yeah, yeah, you can't do that. You not... <laughs> can't tell people at your job, don't, this is worthless. They, they won't want that. Yeah, so his job at Goopal was over in 1876. Okay. So Vincent returned to England, where for a time he worked as an unpaid assistant teacher at a boys' boarding school. And then later he did find a salaried position at a private school run by a vicar in Islesworth, which was near London. And he was allowed to preach at that school and in the surrounding villages at the time. But they commented that the job didn't really offer very good prospects for him, you know, in terms of making a living. Okay. It also commented that even though he was raised by a religious family, this really seemed like the first time when he seemed to be considering that idea of devoting his life to the church. Mm, on his own, right. outside of his family. Right, exactly. Okay. So Vincent spent Christmas of 1876 with his parents in Brabant, where his father advised him not to go back to England, and Vincent took his advice. wonder why, if he loved it so much there. Well, I think he was trying to find his way, because oh, okay. the next thing that happened was his uncle Vincent, who they called Uncle Scent for short, came to the rescue again. This time he found Vincent a job serving in a bookshop. Ooh, I'd in like that job. Yeah, and that was around January of 1877. But again, he was 
really focusing in on his religion and his parents were actually getting a little worried because they didn't feel like he seemed to have a clear purpose in life. He was around 24 now. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't sure, is he going to pursue religion? What, you know, Mm -hmm. what is he going to do? So they debated this. And a few months later, his family agreed which is interesting to me too. I I think it speaks to the time period that it sounded as though he really needed his parents' approval Mm -hmm. because the way it was phrased was that his parents agreed to his plan to study theology. Oh, does it say specifically what denomination of religion he was interested in or just Mm -hmm. kind of loosely says religion? It just said religion. And the Bible. So we know it was Mm -hmm. a branch of the Christian religion. Yeah, but I didn't really get that detail. Okay. So he had this plan to study theology. However, he did not finished school he had to sit for an entrance exam and that did not go well so what actually happened was he spent a year in Amsterdam living with his uncle and another uncle who was a minister was trying to help him prepare for that Mm -hmm. theology entrance exam Mm -hmm. but they said that Vincent lacked the discipline to study instead he would wander around the city take long walks in the countryside and finally his uncle who was the minister advised him to to give it up again another wild speculation just my opinion i wonder if there is some kind of add or adhd because it sounds like he's not a very good test taker like he's obviously brilliant Mm -hmm. but he's not good at taking this actual just sitting still kind of thing Mm -hmm. well despite abandoning those plans apparently vincent still wanted to serve god Mm -hmm. so in the winter of 1878 he volunteered to move to an impoverished coal mine area in the south of belgium And they said it was a place where preachers were usually sent as a punishment. Goodness. I know. In fact, here is a quote from a letter to Theo that was written in 1879. It's a somber place, and at first sight, everything around it has something dismal and deathly about it. Mm. The workers there are usually people emaciated and pale, owing to fever, who look exhausted and haggard, weather-beaten, and prematurely old. The women generally sallow and withered. Right. So while he was there, he preached and he ministered to the sick people. He would draw pictures of the miners and their families. And in fact, it said that he really kind of took on that poverty. He like lived among them Mm -hmm. and he would sleep on the floor. He gave away his possessions. He's living a missionary lifestyle. They they literally called him, his nickname was the Christ of the coal mine. Mm. But it was interesting because... It went on to say, despite that, he really didn't connect fully to this close-knit community of worshipers, and they said his contract was not renewed. Wow. He wanted to be there. The authors of the biography site speculated that the evangelical committee who kind of ran um, mm-hmm. that program disagreed with his lifestyle and felt like maybe it had taken on a bit of a tone of martyrdom. Now that's just their speculation. So again, they did not renew his contract and he was forced to find another occupation. And he still hasn't painted yet, right? We're not painting yet or we're kind of painting? Nothing has been mentioned about painting. Now if he's doing it, it's it's kind of maybe a pastime, but it really was not coming out yet in terms of the research. Because I'm starting to rethink my my thoughts of the ADD, that painting, you have to sit still for very long periods of time. So I'm wondering what the difference is between the test taking and the education and the painting. But that's just things I'm thinking of. I thought I'd mention it. Well, let me clarify. I haven't seen anything about painting, but I Mm -hmm. have seen 
things about art because okay. one thing it did mention was mm-hmm. that in all these letters he was writing to Theo because by the way these two fellas were writing to each other faithfully they would write letters almost every day sometimes Aww. yeah but they said Vincent would often include little sketches okay. in the letters he sent to his so brother Theo mm-hmm. and sometimes even a little drawing but this is where they said this did lead to a turning point in his life because Theo who is remember still an art dealer you know okay. he's working in the art community this is where Theo advises him you know what concentrate more on your drawing and so Vincent decided he would make kind of an adjustment maybe he could serve you know religion and and serve God as an artist so he moved to Brussels in October of 1880 where he began to work on his drawing technique and he was really focusing on being around other artists Mm, a community of artists Mm -hmm. but he no longer had a paid job so this is where Theo starts to send him a little money okay now Vincent was taking some lessons on his own he would study books that talked about you know artistic techniques he would read some things by other artists and by the spring of 1881 he was back living with his parents and his brother Theo now has been appointed manager of Goupel and C in Paris and this is where he actually offers to support Vincent financially so he can focus entirely on his art what a good brother amazing to even be able to do it Mm -hmm. yeah well on the flip side vincent's parents were extremely disappointed that their oldest son had chosen the life of an artist because they thought that was basically synonymous with social failure but his mother was an artist well she dabbled yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was different for the women. Right, and obviously she wasn't, right, she wasn't making, trying gotcha. to make a living gotcha. from it. Mm-hmm. Now, something else that was disappointing the parents was the fact that Vincent had fallen in love with his cousin. She was a widow and was not interested in him, but he was, he was persisting. And basically the family did not approve and he ends up getting into some, you know, confrontations with his father. And he ultimately walks out of his parents' house on Christmas day of 1881 and went and found a new home in the Hague. Here is a quote from a letter to Theo where he briefly talks about this. Pa cannot empathize or sympathize with me and I cannot settle into Pa and Ma's routine. It's too constricting for me. It would suffocate me. He's a free soul. Mm-hmm. So Vincent started to take painting lessons in The Hague from a cousin by marriage who was actually a very celebrated artist. His name was Anton Mauve. I was not familiar with him, I but they said this was like kind of a big deal. Okay. Yeah. So Vincent didn't think his drawing technique was good enough. So he was practicing fanatically, they said, and an uncle gave him his first commission, 12 drawings of city views in The Hague. So this series gave him the opportunity to develop his perspective skills. And this cousin, Anton Mauve, also taught Vincent some of the basics of painting in watercolor and oils. And, and Vincent would go to his studio nearly every day. So this is where he's really working on his technique mm-hmm. and he's growing. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, he is having problems with his love life. He did not seem to really do well in this area ever mm. during his lifetime, just as a kind of an observation. He met at this point... A lady named Sien Hornick. It was early 1882, and she was actually a former prostitute, and she became his model and also his romantic partner. Nobody was approving of this in terms of Vincent's so they were friends dating. and family. They it were was romantically not unre- involved. Okay, it was yes. not unrequited. Okay. Yes, they were, they were definitely involved. But she was pregnant at this time and already had a five-year-old daughter, and 
the way it was presented was that it seemed as though Vincent felt compelled to take care of her. Was it his child? No. Okay. No. Okay. They rented a studio and, and they all lived together in it. But even Theo did not approve of what was happening. Mm. And despite the fact that he continued to support him financially, he was advising him against this. And eventually Vincent realized this was not working and he broke it off. Mm. A quote from a letter to Theo says, I knew from the outset that her character is a ruined character, but I had hopes for her finding her feet. And now, precisely when I don't see her anymore and think about the things I saw in her, I increasingly come to realize that she was already too far gone to find her feet. Oh, goodness. That's very sad. Yeah. So following his split with her, Vincent traveled to the countryside in Drenth to draw and paint the Heathland and Moors. And that was a thing, too. He would progress to try different things. Different locations? Mm -hmm. Different locations and also different subjects. You know, like now he's working on Moors and, and these kind of big fields, that type of thing. But they said he stayed here a very short time because the location was so isolated and rainy and cold. That would not be good for him. Nope. <laughs> but it also wasn't great because it sent him back to his parents' house, ah. which didn't seem to work well for him either. For a while, he worked in a small studio at the back of the house, but after a few months, he rented a larger space somewhere else in the village. Now, they did say this was a great setting for him in terms of his painting for a while because this was a location that had a lot of farmers and rural laborers and mm -hmm. weavers, and he would sketch and paint them at every opportunity. And so that was another thing that helped him to grow because mm -hmm. he was producing these pieces that Theo found promising as well. And so they actually came up with this deal where here's what Vincent said in a letter to Theo. Now I have a proposal to make for the future. Let me send you my work and you take what you want from it. But I insist that I may consider the money I would receive from you after March as money I've earned. So they're kind of setting up this deal where Vincent's sending paintings. Theo's supposed to try to sell them or market a commission. them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the idea then just to kind of flesh it out a little bit more was Theo would sell the paintings on the Paris art market and basically make Vincent in a name and also try to bring some money in but they it didn't work sell. right it didn't work they said that the french taste ran more to color and at this time he's doing those darker paintings yes. that we saw okay exactly okay exactly so their father died in march of 1885 and it was around this time that he's only four years from starry night oh 1889 right. we're four years out okay keep going yeah Things moved fast in his life. Mm -hmm. So now he has moved into a studio of his own. He's out of the family house and he started to work at this time on the potato eaters, which is considered to be his first masterpiece. Okay. And it's a painting that has basically peasants around a dish of potatoes. And they said that at this time, most of his money was going to artist materials. And he was growing, but he decided he needed to enroll at the Academy of Art in Antwerp in order to grow more. It's like that you have to spend money to make money. Mm -hmm. You're having to buy your supplies and you're getting yourself going and getting the education. Yeah. Right. So he left the Netherlands and he would never return. That was his last time. But he didn't last long there either because he said this school was too traditional. He wrote to Theo, I actually find all the drawings I see there hopelessly bad and fundamentally wrong. And I know that mine are totally different. Time will just have to tell who's right. Mm. So this is where he decided he was going to join Theo in Paris and he was going to take lessons in the studio of an artist named Fernand Corman, who was very, very popular with foreign students. So Theo starts to look for an apartment that's big enough for both him and Vincent. Mm -hmm. But before he can do that, Vincent just shows up at the end of February 1886 and he says to him, this is an 
another letter excerpt. My dear Theo, don't be cross with me that I've come all of a sudden. I've thought about it so much, and I think we'll save time this way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just cut out the middleman. I'll just show up now. Theo sounds like the most patient I person love Theo. ever. He's a good brother. He really he is. He's a good brother. So it was in Paris that Vincent first saw Impressionist art. I love Impressionist art. And he was inspired art. by all the color and light. Mm-hmm. So he started studying the works of some of these famous artists. And this is where his work really started to change under the influence of the modern art he was seeing. This is where we started to see his brighter colors Mm -hmm. and his own style of painting began to develop, especially with the short brush strokes. Right, which we talk about in our field trip. Mm. Yes, we do. Yeah, Your your mom brought Mm -hmm. out a lot of that. And they said the themes that he painted also started to change at this time. Instead of pictures of laborers and and different people out in the fields, there were a lot more cafes and Mm -hmm. boulevards and the floral life, that type of thing. He also tried out more commercial subjects such as portraits. And this is where we started to see a lot of those self-portraits that Vincent did because part of it was money. Oh, They couldn't afford to pay models. So a lot of time the artists would sit for each other or self-paint because it was cheaper. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But a comment made was that Van Gogh was very passionate and would actually argue a lot with the other painters about their works or as they were working together. And it said that a lot of times he would alienate some of those painters. Sounds like he and Annie have Mm -hmm. a lot in common too because she was a little argumentative. Well, another inspiration that came up around this time were the Japanese woodcuts, which Mm -hmm. were selling really well in Paris. And they said Vincent and Theo began to collect them. And so this started to influence his work in that there were more bold outlines, more color contrast, that type of thing. But after two years, he started to get tired of life in Paris. It was a little too busy for him and he wanted peace. He wanted countryside, sun, you know, lots of inspiration that were more similar to these Japanese landscapes that he was seeing in these woodcuts. So he left to go to the south of France and to stay in Arles in February of 1888. And this is where he moved into the now famous Yellow House Mm. and also where he decided he was going to enact this plan of setting up kind of an artist studio. He thought that artists should work together and they these artists who were kind of in this house together working together could again as as they've thought all along they would send their work to Theo and Theo could sell it in Paris. And so here's another quote from Vincent. You know I've always thought it ridiculous for painters to live alone. You always lose when you're isolated. Mm -hmm. That's true. So with this artist colony in mind Vincent rented four rooms in the yellow house but the only artist they ever got to join him and it sounded like it was actually theo who was instrumental Twisted in his do- arm. exactly mm-hmm. was paul gauguin okay okay so gauguin arrived in late october of 1888 and honestly they did when they collaborated they created some great stuff together but these two men had such different views of Clash, art didn't they yes yeah. they said that they had heated discussions and that sometimes it was just almost hostile came to blows mm-hmm. one of the things they commented was that their styles were so different so mm-hmm. i think they they actually one of their arguments was about art and technique itself mm-hmm. they said gauguin worked mainly from memory and imagination while vincent preferred to paint what he could see in front of him mm. so for example it was around this time that vincent was creating that sunflower series okay mm-hmm. so this a lot of the tension was about art 
and just living together all the different things. And it ultimately led to the conflict that I'm sure we've all heard about. Mm -hmm. And of course, Vincent's mental health is also part of this Mm -hmm. as well. It's not just about their opinions and Mm -hmm. their differences in art. Because one of the comments made in an article was that it was around this time period where supposedly Vincent was known to have sipped on turpentine and eaten paint. Hmm. Like there were some some habits, some different things he was doing that was showing some signs of physical and mental illness. Hmm. So one night when Vincent and Gauguin were arguing, Gauguin walked out and Vincent followed him. And supposedly when Gauguin turned around, Vincent was holding a razor in his hand and mm-hmm. it was kind of a threatening thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it ends up that hours later, Vincent was at a local brothel with blood pouring from his his hand because he had his ear in it now clarify was it his entire ear was it a piece of ear because i've heard both i did not look that up okay well if listeners any listeners know let me know or i can google it later and find out but that's one thing i've always always been yeah i've always wondered was it the entire ear or just the piece Piece of it Mm -hmm. that's a great question Mm -hmm. i wish i had looked it up that's all right but supposedly he asked her to quote keep this object carefully Mm. So the police found him in his room the next morning and they he was admitted to a hospital mm-hmm. and Theo arrived on Christmas Day to see his brother who was weak from blood loss and mm-hmm. having violent seizures. Mm. So the doctors assured Theo that Vincent would be taken care of, that he was going to live, he was going to be fine. And on January 7th, 1889, Vincent was released from the hospital, but he remained very lonely and depressed. Mm-hmm. Gauguin is gone. I mean, oh yeah. yeah, he's gone. Gauguin's out of there. Just as a little side note, there is an excerpt that Theo had written to the woman who would become his wife where he talked about this time period when Vincent had cut his ear. Mm -hmm. And here's what he said. I found Vincent in the hospital in Arles. The people around him realized from his agitation that for the past few days he had been showing symptoms of that most dreadful illness of madness, Mm -hmm. an attack of, this is a word in a different language, so I'm not sure what it means, fivershad is how it looks, when he injured himself with a knife was the reason he was taken to hospital. Will he remain insane? The doctors think it possible, but daren't yet say for certain. Mm. So it's interesting to me that I think it speaks to the time period that Mm -hmm. they automatically think madness. madness. Mm -hmm. Yep. Instead of realizing that what else could be going on. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was what Theo was apparently worried about. So during this time period, we're about 1889, he is resuming the painting, but his mental health is going up and down. Mm. He himself is fearful that he's going to have kind of a relapse. Mm -hmm. And so he voluntarily admits himself to a psychiatric hospital in Mm -hmm. St. Remy in May. He starts to recover and he begins working again. And again, as I think I mentioned just a minute ago, on good days, he would sometimes paint outside the hospital itself. He might be in the walled garden or kind of on the grounds. And even later, as he as he continued to to improve, he was sometimes allowed to work outside outside the hospital, mm. but then he would come back. Come back at night. Come okay. back at night. They said, in fact, he was even given an extra room inside the clinic to use as a studio for a time. Mm-hmm. And he produced a great series of work during that time this period. This is the year of, a, of Starry Starry Night, mm-hmm. 1889. Yes. Again, relapses though, because during one period he again ate some of his oil paint. I wonder what this is doing. You know, there's a 
There's a disease that animals can get called pica, where they will start, it's a vitamin deficiency, and they'll start chewing on, uh, they'll start licking Mm -hmm. rust and doing Mm -hmm. all of that. So it made me wonder the same thing. Does he have some kind of an imbalance? Yeah. Because, okay, that's probably more information than you want to know. But there was a time in my life when I could not get enough of wintergreen Altoids. I Uh love them. I ate them like candy. Yeah. Turns out I was anemic. And, and once I fixed my iron, I don't think I ate another Altoid ever again. Interesting. Yeah. I think sometimes bodies, they're talking to you. Yeah. But I I wondered the same thing. What is he struggling with? Is it a chemical imbalance? Is it a physical ailment? Is it? Yes, exactly. Is it really only mental health Mm -hmm. or is there some other contributing factor? Mm -hmm. Like what is going on here? But back to our point, despite relapses like that, where for a time they would say, okay, you can't draw because you know, you can't, you're doing things like this. Or even the metals and the paints. Mm-hmm. You know how mercury poisoning would happen to the, they call it the mad hatters would happen because right. the people working with the hats, they, they line mercury and it would make them go crazy. So mm-hmm. I wonder if the paints back then had particular, he's smelling it. He's smelling yeah. the turpentine could have been different than our turpentine now. I just, I think there's a whole avenue there that could be explored and maybe already has. We just don't know it yet. That is so interesting mm-hmm. because another thing which may or may not relate to it, but in my mind it it might, is it was so expensive for canvases. So a lot of times you would, they would reuse the same canvas. You would do a Mm -hmm. painting and then if you wanted to do some different painting and you didn't have a canvas you could spare, you would just do it over top of this one. Did they sometimes have chemicals to remove? Yeah. Or to, you know, who knows? Shoot, there's, again, we're diverting down a really tiny path here. There's something I would like you and I to look into in the future. I have read recently so many people who wrote heavily gonna name three off the top there was Agatha Christie there was Biddy Chambers Oswald Chambers wife and another missionary woman Darlene Diebler Rose who they wrote a lot but they ended up with Alzheimer's and is there a connection with that like that just seems Mm, very well I don't know if Agatha was full-on Alzheimer's but she had a form of that is there something connected to the the typewriters the chemicals that they were Mm -hmm. using because that just seems very especially Agatha and Biddy who wrote profusely mm-hmm. and it, you would think that takes such a cognitive yes, demand you yes. would think that would kind of help help keep you sharp yes, because yes. it's so demanding mm-hmm. so I yeah. wonder if there's something in that anyway that's just a that's a, a primrose path that I'd like to walk mm-hmm. down at some point well Despite these relapses, they said Vincent was exceptionally productive during his time when he was in and out of this hospital. In fact, he completed around 150 paintings in the space of the year. That is prolific. You called it. You called it. One of them was Starry, Starry Nights. Mm. So just a tiny bit about this. He painted, it was actually called The Starry Night, Mm -hmm. and it was in 1889, which is actually only a year before his death. He said, quote, This morning I saw the countryside from my window a long time before sunrise with nothing but the morning star, which looked very big. So he was explaining, that was a little quote from him in a letter to his brother Theo where he was explaining his inspiration. Okay. So they said that this painting was actually not just what he observed. It also was a combination of what he could physically see, but also some imagination, some memory, and then, of course, a lot of emotion. Because Which sounds like one of the first times he's done something like that, because the, him and Gauguin used to fight over, I'm doing it from what I'm looking at, and you're doing it from imagination. And it sounds like he just finally gave in and combined the two. 
Yeah, or was it a statement about where he was? Maybe you know mentally, and mm-hmm. you know, who knows? But or like we mentioned in the field trip, astigmatism. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. But they said that it depicts an expressive, swirling night sky in a sleeping village with a large flame-like cypress thought to represent the bridge between life and death looming in the foreground. Mm. I found an article on this website called Art and Object, and it gave a little bit more background. I thought this was interesting, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to share this with you. This is a quote from them. Though the painter preferred working from observation, he was not allowed to paint in his room, so he began painting the star he had seen in his studio without the view for reference. Oh, so he saw it from his room, and now he's having to re... Okay. Gotcha. Okay, that does explain it, doesn't yeah. it? Applying paint to the canvas directly from the tubes to create the image's iconic thick lines and intense colors. The result was the dreamlike image, which features wavy cypress trees in the foreground and glowing stars, a bright crescent moon, a swirling sky, rolling hills, and a village in the background. Some of the elements, such as the mountains in the distance and the existence of the village, are true to the view Van Gogh would have seen from his window. Mm. Meanwhile, other parts, such as the steeple on the church, are imagined. Mm. And that painting, by the way, is currently housed at the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Ooh, that's... Mm -hmm. That's achievable. We could see that. We, we could. <laughs> so Theo married Joanna, or Joe for short, Bonger, in Amsterdam in April of 1889. And in January of 1890, Vincent received a birth announcement mm-hmm. in the mail where he was still hospitalized. Mm-hmm. Theo and Joe had named their son after him. Such a good brother. Mm-hmm. And Vincent sent them a special painting from the hospital that he created just for the his, baby. Yes. Almond Blossom. If you've Aww. seen that. Yeah, that was, that was for the baby. In late 1889 to early 1890, there was some success for Vincent. He had some paintings that were chosen to be shown in two different exhibits, and he actually sold a painting, which this was the, the Red one. Vineyard. Yeah. For the Brussels exhibit, which was one of those two I just mentioned, he sent six paintings, and that did include the Starry Night and Irises. He left the mental hospital in May of 1890, and he headed north to Avers-sur-Ouis, where several artists were already residing, and this was a place that was meant to give him the peace and the quiet he Mm -hmm. needed, while also keeping him close enough to Paris that he could visit his brother Theo whenever he needed to. Mm -hmm. Also, it's interesting the different sources didn't necessarily agree on this, but it sounded as though Theo helped to set Vincent up with this doctor, Paul, I hope his last name is said, Gachet who was supposed to kind of treat him and keep an eye on him. Keep him balanced a little Mm -hmm. bit. Okay. And they became really good friends. Gachet himself was an amateur painter, and he advised Vincent to focus entirely on his art. But just as a side note, they became so close that Vincent painted a very famous painting called Portrait of Dr. Gachet, Hmm. which sold in 1990 for $82.5 million. Yeah. So Vincent threw himself entirely into his painting during this time. They said it was almost a work a day that he completed Mm. and his health seemed to be improving. Mm -hmm. But a new worry came up, which was some financial worries Mm. because Vincent visited Theo and his family in Paris in early 1890. And this is when Theo shared that he was thinking of quitting his job at the art dealership. So he's been at this art dealership this whole time. Oh yeah. He is. Okay. And he's, he's managed. I mean, like he's been high up in it. Okay. So Theo wants to set up his own 
business, which mm-hmm. of course is a little risky. Right. And Vincent supposedly was very concerned about this. In right. fact, well, I don't think it's supposedly because here's a quote. Once back here, I too still very saddened and had continued to feel the storm that threatens you also weighing upon me. What can be done? You see, I usually try to be quite good humored, but my life too is attacked at the very root. My step also is faltering. That was a letter from Vincent to Theo where he's talking about basically his concerns of what's going to happen to him. If what's going to happen to Theo or what's going to happen what's to Vincent? What's going to happen to Vincent? He's, okay. He is concerned about himself. Okay. Right? To the point that both Theo and his wife, Joe write letters to Vincent to assure him it's going to be okay. So but is he worried that if his brother quits this job, he's not going to have the financial ability to help support him? Yes. Okay. He is worried of what he's, he's also very concerned about his mental stability mm-hmm. and his health. Mm-hmm. And he's afraid now he doesn't, he's not going to have the money. Okay. Right. In the articles they talked about, this was weighing on him. There was gloom descending upon him. And remember, he wasn't in a in a great place. He's melancholy place. anyway. Yeah. So despite the fact that it seemed like he had been improving in this peaceful area, mm-hmm. his illness and his uncertainty about the future really just became too much for him. And on July 27th of 1890, he walked into a wheat field and he had a pistol with him and he shot himself in the chest. Mm. And he was still alive and he staggered back to his room where he was found bleeding and taken to a hospital. Of course, Theo rushed from Paris to try to to be there with him. And it was actually two days later before Mm -hmm. he died of his injuries on July 29th. And he was only 37 years old. Oh, goodness. That's so young. So Vincent was buried in Auvers, a place where he was living there at the end on July 30th of 1890. He had more than 2,100 works to his name, consisting of 860 oil paintings and more than 1,300 watercolors, drawings, and sketches. I wonder where he stored all of them. Because he's moved around so much. Theo had a lot of them. Okay. Theo did have a lot of them. Six weeks after Vincent's death... Theo organized a memorial exhibition of his brother's work. Mm -hmm. But by this time, it is so sad. Theo's health was already declining too. I mean, he was in terrible shape. And they said he suffered a nervous breakdown. So he was admitted to a clinic. And also, this was very common, I think, of this time period. He was suffering from a syphilis-related disease. Mm -hmm. So he had huge physical and mental issues that he was dealing with himself, a lot of symptoms. Mm -hmm. So he died at the end of January 1891, barely six months after Vincent died. Wow. And he and Joe had only been married a couple of years. Wow. Yeah. So she is the one who had to take over trying to preserve Vincent's legacy. So she must have believed in him too. Absolutely. I did not know this. I was very touched. I I honestly, I was thinking in terms of that immersive exhibit that maybe a little more credit could have been given to To Joe because she'd only been married a couple of years to Theo. She came into this family. This is a brother. And they said she was such a dedicated supporter that she actually years later allowed, well, not allowed, instigated having Theo's body reburied so it could be next to Vincent and she started collecting all the works and she worked so hard to try to sell his paintings, mm-hmm. to try to get exhibits for Vincent. And she is the one wow. who actually See, I got thought his it was name Theo, out there. But it's Joe. Nope. Like she is given credit for helping him achieve the status he has today because of her work. And wow. she was dedicated to it. Wow. Yeah. 
So one last thought to kind of wrap this up. In 1973 was when the Van Gogh Museum opened its doors in Amsterdam to make the works of Vincent Van Gogh accessible to the public. That museum today houses more than 200 of Vincent's paintings, 500 drawings, and 750 written documents, including all these letters that we keep sharing between the two brothers. It also has several of the self-portraits, a lot of these famous paintings. And I thought this was very cool. I don't know. I didn't remember this but I'm sure it was all over the news in September of 2013 the museum discovered and unveiled a Van Gogh painting of a landscape entitled Sunset at Mount Major I hope I said that right before coming under the possession of the Van Gogh Museum a Norwegian industrialist had owned the painting and stored it away in his attic thinking it was not authentic (gasps) but the painting is believed to have been created by Vincent in 1888, around the same time that his artwork, The Sunflowers, was made, yeah. just two years before his death. And they now, they say this is authentic. Wow. So he had it in his attic. Yes. Ooh. Can you imagine finding a Van Gogh in your attic? No, it's like when you go to those yard sales and you find this stuff. <laughs> That's crazy. That's amazing. Ooh. All right. Well, that was a lot about Vincent. That was a lot about Vincent. We have a surprise coming yes, up. Yes, so let's, let's, let's take a little break okay. and then we'll, we'll tease a little surprise. I know we have, this was a little lengthy section, but when we come back, we'll have a surprise for you all. Okay, we are back from our break, and now we're going to do kind of a segue into our third section of, <laughs> of this episode that's become this monumental episode. It is. It was supposed to be a light and frothy one, and it's become one of our most detailed and, I don't know, I, but I've loved it. So when we came home from the immersive exhibit, we had talked about the song Starry, Starry Night, or Vincent, as mm-hmm. it is, as it was intended to be called, but it is mostly called Starry, Starry Night because of the first few words of the song. And if you need a little reminder, here is a few bars of the song Vincent by Don McLean. Starry, starry night, paint your palette blue and gray, look out on a summer's day, with eyes that know the darkness in my soul. So that's the first line, Mm -hmm. and it's so beautiful. The lyrics to this song are just are just stunning. And I listened to it and I just had all of these emotions having come from that immersive experience. And I did one of those things that I do, which is I impulsively, (laughs) (laughs) it's like 1030 at night. And I'm just like, you know what, I'm gonna email Don McLean. Is he is like, who does that? Who just walks out and says, I'm gonna just tell him how great he is. Ashley does that. I do. I do. (laughs) random things like that so that evening just shot off this just random note I I found his manager it said like contact Don McLean I was like I'm gonna contact Don McLean and after you hear his biography you would go girlfriend (laughs) what makes you think that they will answer you but they did they did they did so I heard from Don McLean's manager, Scott, who was mm-hmm. very kind and basically was like, sure, you know, what do you, what do you need? What do you need to know? And so I, I talked to Candy and we, we were both so excited. We that were we both, even yes, it. we were both just out of our minds excited. And we talked and we said, well, if we could have the opportunity to ask him a couple questions about this, this song, 
if he could record an audio clip for us that would be just simply marvelous yes. and he said check with me after thanksgiving because he's on a as candy will tell you all um don's bio he was on a world tour mm-hmm. and this was back in september as we said so i said i'll talk to you after thanksgiving <laughs> and i put in my little calendar follow up with them and i did and mr mclean very kindly very kindly Ugh. answered a few of our questions and sent us an audio clip so before we play his audio clip let's give you a little bit of background uh, about the song do you have that with you well yes but you know what first let me just give you a tiny tiny overview mm-hmm. about don mclean yes. in case yes. you're not familiar because this goodness is his biography is probably eight pages long so yes. i'm just t- scratching the surface here but he is seriously one of the most revered singer-songwriters in history mm-hmm. and his list of achievements is incredibly long here here are just a few he is a bbc lifetime achievement award recipient a member of the songwriters hall of fame and of course he has earned so many awards for his very very famous american pie song mm-hmm. in fact it has been inducted in the grammy hall of fame it has been added to the national recording registry of the library of congress and was named a top five song of the 20th century and it's the basis for a documentary called the day the music died the story of don mclean's american pie he is non-stop he is on this world tour that is designed to celebrate the 50th anniversary of american pie and he continues to receive honors and recognition all the time in fact just to give another example just in 2019 he was honored with a star on the las vegas walkway of stars so we are beyond excited that he took the time to respond to us. I mean, what an honor. Yes. We are so grateful. Yes. But just to give you a tiny bit about the song, as Ashley said, it's actually called Vincent, though most of us know it as Starry Starry Night. And it was released in 1971 on that American Pie album. Mm-hmm. Don McLean has shared in some of his interviews that he was reading a biography of Vincent Van Gogh when he was inspired mm-hmm. to write this song. It, you know, it was meant to be a, an homage to the artist and to, to all of Vincent's work. And one of the comments that was made in, it was actually on the Vincent Van Gogh Museum site where they were talking about the song. It, it commented that that Don McLean really wanted to emphasize that it wasn't that Vincent was really mad. Mm-hmm. He he was afflicted with an illness and, and that was meant to be represented in one place by that line, now I understand what you tried to say to me and how you suffered for your sanity. Mm-hmm. And it also pointed out, of course, that if you listen to all the lyrics of the song, it references not only the Starry Night painting, but also other paintings. Right. So here is just a piece of the email that I sent to him. So you'll have context for Mr. McLean's answer. Part of what I said is your song, Vincent, is not only a beautiful piece of artistry itself, but also a moving tribute to Vincent Van Gogh's life and art. Your lyrics go past mere description. They use color and imagery and could almost be considered a closed caption version of the paintings. You almost repaint his canvases with your words and no matter how many times we listen it still brings tears to our eyes being able to share a few of your insights with our listeners would add so much to the episode so then we added a few questions and he replied with this Hello, this is uh, Don McLean, and I, I got all your questions. I'm going to just in general respond and say that unrequited love and mental health go together because really the only way to be an artist 
is to be in love and be terribly injured by that, not once, but probably s several times. And that, of course, affects the mental health of the artist who is on shaky ground anyway. So, and here's this longing to be uh, nurtured, accepted, comforted, to have a companion and so on. And yet most artists are so singular and, new and unique that they can't have a partner because they want things their way. So as far as what he would think, I have no idea. Uh, I don't think he would ever imagine it. I don't think he could even comprehend pop culture, so therefore he couldn't possibly understand what's happened to his name. And as far as writing the song with imagery that repaints the paintings, that is a very good remark. Certainly that was the idea. I let the Starry Night painting write the song Vincent simply by looking at it and writing down what I felt in music and in words. So I hope that's helpful. Thank you. This is Don McLean. And so that was Mr. Don McLean answering <laughs> little o us <sighs> and our questions. Just to clarify, one of the things that we had asked him is what did he think Vincent would think of the immersive mm -hmm. experience? Because that's something we talked about during the field trip is how do we think he would feel about people selling his work mm -hmm. and his images being on umbrellas and things like that? And as Don said, he who knows? Because right. he couldn't have even comprehended pop culture. Could he even have thought like this is going to be on the an umbrella? A magnet? You know, hearing your biography of Vincent and then hearing Don's response of, I don't think that artists necessarily can have a partner because they have to have things their way, which we learned with him in Gauguin mm -hmm. and him in his romantic life. It's just, he had so many things that he was fighting all the time. And it's like, that's all he had room for mm -hmm. was that conflict that created this beauty. Mm -hmm. It's funny because it's surprising to me how often we come back to this idea of control Mm -hmm. You know, like when you're a painter, you are making so many decisions. What is your perspective? What yeah. are you going to depict? How are you going to show this? Like there's so much that, like what colors are you going to use? It's like yeah. you so much control. And it's almost like he desperately wanted control in his life, but he struggled with it. Right. Like he clearly struggled with right. control. So such an interesting idea. Yeah. I loved hearing Mr. McLean share his thoughts and the little backstory of how he he really was trying to create the paintings through his song. That's what it sounds like. Uh, yeah. We we didn't play the whole song because copyright, we've done episodes on that, but we will put the link to the particular YouTube clip that I watched was something that had the lyrics and it had Vincent's different paintings mm. on the screen as you're watching it. And it was posted 13 years ago. So it was sort of like the first immersive experience. I guess somebody put together this thing with his paintings and it was so beautiful that it just inspired me to go, you know what? I'm just going to tell Don. I'm just mm -hmm. going to tell him that he's just I wonderful. I love that you did that. I, it's just that teenager in me still coming out every once in a while. Like, I like this person. I think I will tell them that I wow. like them. And you know what? I'm just going to come back to this last thought here. You know, Mr. McLean talked about artists mm -hmm. and artistry in general mm -hmm. and thinking about what you just described and how the paintings were there with the lyrics mm -hmm. and the song. Isn't it wonderful how the different arts do complement and yeah. add to each other? Yeah. Because during 
the immersive experience, we had songs like Vincent playing in the background, along with the visuals and along with mm-hmm. the feelings in the room. And then on the flip side, to hear Don McLean's song in the way you did on that YouTube yeah. clip, getting to enjoy the paintings at the same time. Like it just adds and it so still, much. It did. I was just sitting there, just tears. The emotion that Vincent poured into the painting, Don McLean sort of carried the torch. It's almost like a relay race. Vincent started the race and he handed the torch to, to Don, who just brought it home in this beautiful enmeshment. I feel like Don understood what Vincent was trying to say and put that in words that then went back and you look at the paintings and it just, it feeds itself. It's just perfect. Well, that sounds like a good way to end this episode. Obviously, I think we need to say a huge cheers to both Vincent Van Gogh and Don McLean. Yes, Scott sent me links for you all. I mean, please go and listen to Don's music. It is part of our American history is his words and his music. And he is appearing doing tours. Mm -hmm. If you're able to go see him, you should. Mm -hmm. It's a once in a lifetime thing. I believe he was even just recently inducted in Nashville Hall of Fame. I think I think I saw that, but maybe wrong. Nice. Yeah. Got original music coming out too. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Don McLean. Cheers to you and cheers to Vincent Mango. And you know what? Cheers to Theo as well. And Joe. And Joe. Yes. Cheers. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.